0: The title of my message today is Jesus, Politics, and the Church. Do I have your attention? This morning I have five principles that I believe American Christians should hold to as we navigate the next two weeks and beyond in our nation. The first principle is this, government and politics are incredibly important to the Christian. The Bible is very clear that God created and ordained the institution of the government to protect and bring peace to its citizens and to bring good to the world. Romans 13.1. There's going to be a lot of Bible today. Is that cool? We're a Bible church, all right? Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So what Romans 13 says is that God is the ultimate authority, but God in his wisdom has given authority to governments to care for the people under their care. Government was instituted by God for the good of the world. God designed and ordained governments, and this is very important, God designed and ordained governments to do essentially four things. To commend what is good, to punish what is evil, to maintain peace, and to protect the oppressed, vulnerable, and poor within that nation. So 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God created government to commend what is good and to punish what is evil. 1 Timothy 2, the apostle Paul writes, I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? Pray for our leaders. Why? So that we can experience peace, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. God created the government to maintain peace. Isaiah 10. Isaiah writes, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. In other words, woe to those who prescribe unjust laws. And the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice. God created the government to protect the oppressed, the vulnerable, and the poor. So this is what God designed a government to be and to do, to commend what is good, punish what is evil, maintain peace, and protect the oppressed, vulnerable, and the poor. However, Because of sin, governments do not always do these things, do they? Governments often work against peace. And governments often fail to protect the most vulnerable. And governments often, at times, praise what is is evil while commending, or they, they praise what is evil while punishing sometimes that which is good. And when this happen, what happens, when governments don't live up to the God-ordained design for what they were created for, when this happens, that is when the people of God are called to step in as citizens and advocate for justice, mercy, and goodness. Christians are called, commanded, to demand that their governments live up to their God-given design for justice and goodness in the world, and to fail to do so is sinful those who sat on the sidelines during slavery were sinful for not speaking up those who did not speak out against injustices during Jim Crow era in the United States were sinful Christians who refused to speak out that was sin because their God our God-given duty as Christians is to advocate for the poor and the oppressed To commend what is good, punish what is evil, and to maintain peace. And those situations were situations where none of that was happening. And sadly, oftentimes, the church was silent. And I believe those that were silent were in sin. But praise God for those within the church who led movements to undo those things. That's what is good. And so, Christians, we are called to participate in politics and in government because that is one of the the processes we can participate in that brings justice and goodness into the world. So I want you to know today, I love America. <laughs> I do. I, mean, when I was really bummed out that the Olympics didn't happen this year because I read white and blue and I'm all about it. One of the most moving experiences I've ever had in all of my life and one of the greatest honors I've ever been invited into as a pastor is a few years ago I got to be at a citizenship ceremony for one of our members who had immigrated to this country and had been, dec- been given citizenship in this nation. And that courtroom was full of about 300 immigrants from all over the world who with smiles on their faces and tears in their eyes were declared as citizens of what I believe to be a great nation. And at the end of the ceremony, we all stood together as citizens and we said the Pledge of Allegiance together. And I was so moved to tears. I'm almost moved to tears right now just remembering it. And I tried to imagine the stories of all these hundreds of people and how they came here and what America was offering them and why they wanted citizenship and and how proud they were that they had been given it. I love America. It's a great country. I love this country. And the reason I love this country is because I think the ideals of this country are some of the best in the world and they're worth protecting. If you've ever read the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights or the rest of the Constitution, you know that these are incredible documents that have created a land of opportunity for many people. These documents spell out how America ought to strive to commend what is good, punish what is evil, maintain peace, protect the vulnerable and the oppressed and the poor, and make room for the immigrants. These are good ideals. Now, I'm the first to tell you Amer- these ideals aren't perfect, and America is not perfect. But I believe these ideals are very good. However, because of sin, America has often failed to live up—not just to our God-given or or design, but we've failed to live up to even our our own stated ideals. And the role of political participation for the Christian is that when we see our nation that is failing to live up to its stated ideals and to its God-given responsibilities, we are called to speak out, advocate for laws that we believe are good and just, and we vote for leaders who commit to upholding justice and goodness, and then we hold them accountable to do that. You see, politics are incredibly important for the Christian. It's one of the ways that we as followers of Jesus can participate in bringing goodness and justice to our neighbors. So, because politics are important, that means that you shouldn't sit this one out. Uh, Whether you decide to vote for one party, the other, or something else, or a write-in vote, whatever, You should be informed, you should vote, you should participate in civic life, you should attend a protest when you believe that there is something unjust going on in this nation. You should write your government leaders when you feel that your voice needs to be heard. Attend city board meetings, city council meetings, all of those things. And ultimately, you should pray, pray, pray for your leaders, pray for your city, Pray for your state and your nation because politics and government are important. Amen. Second principle, government and politics are not that important, okay? (laughs) Stated another way, government and politics are not of first importance for the Christian. I've always found it to be so staggering that when Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he chose both, he called both Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot to be on the team. These guys were divided on what to do about the most pressing political question of their day, which was what to do about Roman occupation. And we think, oh, you know, that's, that's what is that, you know? And we think, America, we're so divided, polarized right now. You don't know anything about what it would have been like to be a Jew under Roman occupation in these times. Both Matthew and Simon were Jewish men, and the Roman Empire had occupied their land and was taxing them, was ruling over them, and had done many atrocious things. You guys, we're about to celebrate Christmas in a few months. You guys remember the story of Herod the Great? Infanticide. I mean, was murdering all male children under the age of two, and Matthew and Simon were both grew up as male children at this time. I mean, this was a bad time to be a Jewish person living in that land. But there were disagreements between Jewish people on how, on what, how they should, uh, what to do about Roman occupation. And so Matthew, as a tax collector, he, his belief was obviously that, well, at the moment, this is what it is. Rome is the authority. They have the power. And if we want to live a a peaceful life, we just need to cooperate with them and try to secure and maintain peace as best we can. Let's not wake up. Let's not ruffle their feathers. And let's participate with them and let's cooperate with them so that maybe we can experience some peace. That was Matthew, the tax collector. Now, Simon, as a zealot, was like, peace, forget about it. (laughs) Like, No justice, no peace. That's Simon the Zealot. No way. These are imperialists. These are oppressors. They're evil. And we ought to not cooperate with them, but we ought to rally together, draw our swords, and fight for a revolution. He was a zealot. These are massive political differences between these two men. This is far greater than Democrats and Republicans today. Far greater. And don't you know that these men had some heated and intense, passionate conversations as they journeyed with Jesus all over the place. One of my friends said, I bet Jesus made them room together, you know? (laughs) But the point is this, Jesus allowed space for both of them to be in the group. Neither one of their views was enough to exclude them from Jesus' presence and Jesus' invitation to follow him. And these men held two radically different political perspectives, but they were able to find unity around the person of Jesus. It was a unity that was far greater than their differences and superseded their political agendas because politics was not the most important thing for them. Jesus was. And the kingdom that Jesus was establishing was and is more important than the earthly kingdom that they inhabited at the time. I love America and I care deeply about the people who live here and I care about our success in the world. But America is an earthly kingdom and it will pass away. And my ultimate allegiance and your ultimate allegiance if you are a follower of Jesus should not be in the red, white, and blue. Our ultimate allegiance is not to be in America but in the kingdom of Jesus. And his kingdom will not pass away because it is eternal. And he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And his throne can never be shaken. So politics are greatly important, but they are not of first importance for the Christian. Therefore, here's what I encourage you to do today. Examine your life over the next two weeks and examine your heart And examine your anxiety. Are you more anxious about the upcoming election than you are about whether your neighbors know Jesus? Are you more anxious and more committed to what is gonna happen in our nation 16 days from now than you are your own holiness? Do you spend more time with cable news and your social media feeds than you do with Jesus? If the answer is yes then you, your priorities are out of order politics are important but knowing Jesus and making him known are of far greater importance I think you all can agree with me so far, I haven't said anything controversial yet principle three I might upset some of you neither party has a kingdom agenda in our nation. Neither party in American politics has a vision or agenda for the kingdom of Jesus. Neither of the two major U.S. political parties is explicitly Christian in in its ethics or its vision for America. Now listen, I agree with my friend Cam Triggs who wrote this week in an article in the Gospel Coalition. He says, we can find kingdom values in both platforms, But we would be foolish to think that either party is ultimately concerned with ushering in the kingdom of God and submitting to biblical ethics. See, the goal of the Democratic Party and the goal of the Republican Party is not for them to see Jesus' kingdom come to bear on this nation. And frankly, that shouldn't be the goal of political parties. I mean, these are earthly parties and their purpose is to serve an earthly kingdom and a diverse range of people they are seeking to serve people that aren't Christians so they the, the purpose of the Democratic or the Republic Party shouldn't be to establish Jesus's kingdom on earth that's the mission of the church but the point remains that neither party has a an exact vision for the world that we Christians have and when you realize this as a Christian it then frees you up from the need to be perfectly aligned with every aspect of every issue of every political party. My friend Rich Volotis, who pastors in Queens, he says one of the greatest lies of partisan politics is that you must restrict yourself as it pertains to the social issues that you care about. I've been told that I'm inconsistent because I care about pro-life causes and I care about racial justice in America. I've received angry emails saying that I need to pick a side. As a Christian, I can care about issues that are on different sides of the aisle. As a Christian, first and foremost, as a citizen first and foremost of the kingdom of God, I can hold to the ethics of Jesus and you can hold to the ethics of Jesus. That means that we can hold to the sanctity of life in the womb and protecting the unborn. We can hold to the value of strengthening families. We can hold to the value of seeking justice for the poor and the vulnerable, of protecting against discrimination, securing human rights, advocating for equal pay, pursuing racial justice, restraining violence, seeking peace, showing dignity to immigrants and refugees, taking care of God's creation, and just altogether praising what is good and calling out what is evil. You see, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to be beholden entirely to any specific political party or platform, but we can look at the issues as followers of Jesus and not as donkeys or elephants, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we're free to celebrate where our parties, and it's okay for Christian to be a part of a party, but if you're a part of that party, you need the, humi- you need the courage from Jesus himself to both critique your party and to celebrate where your party gets it right. And we're free to celebrate where our parties align with the ethics of Jesus. And we're free to critique our, we're free to celebrate where other parties uh, align with the ethics of Jesus. And we're free to critique our own parties where they fall short. So people get upset in America right now. There's this thing called package deal ethics. Like you have to hold to every, everything on this platform and everything on this platform. And if you hold, if you, if you cross the party line in any way, no one will want to work with you. And people get so upset if you have a conservative position on one issue and a liberal position on another, or you may have, or you just may have particular political convictions, but you just don't want to support a candidate who, even if they share your politics, you just don't think that candidate displays the appropriate character for the office they seek. But as a follower of Jesus, none of these things are a contradiction because we're not confined to political platforms or to candidates. And that should, and these, pla- these platforms change every four years anyway. What one party's passionate about this election cycle, it's going to change in the next election cycle. My point is this. Neither party has a kingdom vision. And as Christians, our vision is for the kingdom, not for Republicanism or, dem- or the, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Fourth principle. You do not see everything clearly. I mean, I, like, you. I know, you're, I know some of you are looking at me You're like, but I do. You do not see everything clearly. You don't know everything and you don't see every issue with perfect clarity because you are a human and you have blind spots and you have limitations and you have past experiences in your life and you have perspectives and priorities that cause you to come to different conclusions than other people. So to be a follower of Jesus in a time of political polarization requires that you have the humility to confess that you don't see everything clearly. James 1.19, I'm going to say this very slowly because I want us to, this needs to soak deep, deep, deep into our bone marrow over the next two weeks. James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But right now it seems that we're all slow to listen, quick to speak, and we're all already angry. <laughs> you know? Can I tell you something? You and I are not competent or called to speak about every issue with confidence. In psychology, there is something known as the Dunning-Kruger effect, which essentially suggests that the more ignorant you are, the smarter you think you are. So the more, and it suggests that the more someone actually knows, the more humility they usually tend to possess when it comes to explaining complex ideas. So in other words, sometimes the less we know about something, the more we actually think we know about it because we lack the awareness of how complex that issue is. So we all know the guy who has watched one Netflix documentary (laughs) on the food industry or the pharmaceutical industry, and now that guy, he's watched one documentary and read two blog posts, and now he's telling everyone that they're supposed to eat like a caveman and never take medicine. And you're like dude you watch one Netflix documentary go talk to your physician and then get back to me and sometimes we do this when we speak about policy positions listen it is good and right and okay to have political opinions and convictions I have lots of opinions ask my wife ask Kyle because he gets it when I just need somebody to vent to and he's in the office like he gets it okay Frankly, I've got lots of opinions, and guess what? I think I'm right on all of them. That's why, that's why I hold those opinions. And I think they're good opinions. Listen, but can we confess that we have blind spots and that we could be wrong? I, I don't have a PhD in economics. So my opinions on tax policy, and I have opinions on tax policy, they should, my opinions should be held and offered with a lot of humility because people much smarter than me who have studied these issues much more than me don't all agree. I never went to medical school. I'm not that kind of doctor is what my wife has to tell me all the time. I never went to medical school, so my opinions about COVID-19 and about masks should be taken with a grain of salt, Right? And that goes to all of you guys, because I see your Facebook posts, all right? You don't know everything is what I'm trying to tell us. The same goes with my opinions on foreign policy, education policy, immigration reform, climate policy, police reform. I'm not an expert in these issues. I have opinions, but I need to to hold my positions humbly and offer them graciously, recognizing that no matter how right my ideas seem to me, I could be wrong. Do you guys remember how certain we all were about invading Iraq? Like Republicans, Democrats, Hillary Clinton, George W. Bush, everyone was certain that that was the right thing to do. Two decades later, it's not so clear anymore, is it? Sometimes things seem so clear to us in the moment, but we need to have humility to, to understand that we might be wrong. And the reason we need humility here is because I know that in my own heart, here's what often happens in my heart, I come to my opinions and my convictions because of usually very good intentions. I think I'm a pretty thoughtful guy. And I know, I'm trained, I know how to do good research and seek out reputable sources. And I know how to, I think I I do, I, I make a good faith effort to apply my faith to my politics. And so I I go, okay, I came to this conclusion because I did all the research and I have very good intentions. And so what often happens when someone disagrees with me, there's a part of me that goes, wait a second, their motives must be sinister, like, how could, they have seen, how could they have good intentions, look at the same evidence as me, and come to a different conclusion if there's not something, some sinister motive behind their, th- them? Or th- there's something wrong with them for them to come to that conclusion. But the truth is, they may have just as wholesome of intentions as I do, but they just reach different conclusions. And so for this reason, I think we must allow space for well-meaning Christians to disagree on issues and on policies without assuming the worst about each other. So here's what I mean by this. Every single Christian in this room and every single Christian watching online ought to care about poverty alleviation. We all ought to care about that. But is state-mandated living wage or basic universal income, is that the answer? Some Christians would say, yes, that is the best way to accomplish poverty alleviation. Other thoughtful Christians would say, no, I actually think that would tweak the economy and ultimately hurt the the poor. Some Christians would say yes. Others would say no. And there's room for well-meaning Christians to agree that poverty is bad and seek out solutions to alleviate it, but disagree on the specific policies that we think might accomplish that goal without assuming the worst possible motives of each other and say, oh, you must hate the poor. Every single Christian in this room ought to care about people having access to good health care. We should. Is single-payer universalized health care the best way to accomplish that? Some Christians say yes. Others say no. I think there are better ways. Every single Christian in this room ought to care about education. Is school choice the right answer? Is a voucher system the right answer? Well, meaning Christians have different opinions on this. Every single Christian in this room and watching online ought to care about fairness in the voting process over the next couple of weeks. Are voter ID laws a helpful protection against voter fraud? Or are they inherently discriminatory? Well-meaning Christians disagree on these things. Every single Christian in this room and watching online ought to care deeply about racial justice and equality. Is cutting $1 billion from the New York Police Department the best way to accomplish this. Some very thoughtful Christians would say yes. Put that money somewhere else. Other Christians would say no I don't think that's a good idea. And it wouldn't accomplish what we're hoping it would. Well meaning Christians can disagree on these issues while still agreeing on, the, on, on what we're trying to accomplish. Every single Christian's room ought to care about immigrants and refugees. But does the Bible give an exact number of how many immigrants and refugees God wants America to allow in every year? No. The Bible presents a very clear principle that we are to be kind and gracious and welcoming to immigrants and refugees, but it doesn't prescribe specific policies for American, uh, for American politics. Well-meaning Christians can disagree on these things. We have to be very, very careful as Christians to differentiate between principles which are clear in God's Word and applications which are less clear. One of the questions I often get asked is why I don't endorse candidates and why our church doesn't endorse candidates or specific policies. The answer is because I, while I have convictions and opinions, I recognize that I could be wrong on specific policy issues. And I could be wrong on candidates. I have voted for candidates that I regretted before in my life. I don't see everything clearly. And what I would hate to do as, as a representative of, of this church, and by extension the, the, the kingdom of God, I would never want to lose credibility as a preacher of the gospel, something I am very confident in, by stating an opinion on a policy that I could be wrong about. Now, that's me as a, as a preacher and that's our church as, a, as an institution. We don't take specific positions on very many things unless it is abundantly clear. But you, as individual Christians, you have the freedom and I believe the responsibility to speak out, to persuade, and advocate for whatever position you see as best in the world to accomplish goodness and justice in this nation. But I believe you should do so with humility, and I believe you should be very quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger as you do it. Fifth thing, fifth principle I want you to understand about American politics Set your mind on things above. (laughs) You've got to set your mind on things above. All throughout the Bible, God commands us to lift up our eyes, to fix our attentions and our affections on that which is truer and more eternal than our present circumstances. Colossians 3, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, you are to seek the things that are above where Christ is. And he's seated at the right hand of God. So set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I know that right now in our nation, we are facing some very difficult and very important political questions. And I know that there are many of you in this church who aren't American citizens. And you come from other nations where there are uh, are things going on in your country that are important. And these things are important, and the way we handle them determines the future of our nation and the future of our children and all these things are so important. And I confess, though, that I feel intense anxiety sometimes when I think about these things. There's a word that has been made up recently called doom scrolling. It's where you know you're scrolling through the news and you just can't stop and you're like, oh gosh, like if this happens, this is gonna happen in the country, it's gonna all- I can easily get lost doom scrolling. And I can easily get lost and anxious and distracted thinking about the worst possible situations if this were to happen and if this candidate were to get elected and if this policy were to pass and if this were to be the direction of our country. I can easily become anxious. I can easily get distracted. I can easily lose my joy because of earthly politics. But God is calling me and he's calling you and he's inviting us to look up And see something greater than our present circumstances. You see in Revelation 4, there's an image of the throne of Jesus in heaven. And there's people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language that are there. And they're bowing their faces and they're singing in unison. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And here's what I want you to see today. If you're a Christian, you'll be in that room one day. And you will join in that song. And you will be worshipping on that day alongside Christians who were killed by their governments. And you will be worshipping alongside Christians on that day who were oppressed by their governments. And you will be worshipping alongside Christians who were allowed to be enslaved by their governments And as we all worship Jesus, and as you're next to this person who was oppressed by their earthly government, but now they're worshiping around the throne of Jesus, they're going to look at you, and you're just going to smile because you're in the presence of Jesus, and they will say to you that the worst possible thing that could happen on earth happened to them. They'll say, the worst political situation you can imagine, I lived it, but it was only temporary because I was redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And I was bought with a price. And he has wiped away every tear from my eyes. And even though I suffered for 70 years under an evil authority of whatever, you name whatever awful regime that has existed throughout history. They, there are Christians that exist in those times that will be with us in heaven. And they will say, even though I suffered during that time for a temporary moment, I am now enjoying eternity in the presence of Jesus. Listen, if you are anxious about the upcoming election, will you just set your eyes to heaven? Because listen, even if your worst fears come to pass on November 3rd, even if your worst fears come to pass in this earthly kingdom, you are still a citizen of a greater and everlasting kingdom. So you can have peace, peace that surpasses understanding. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commanded us, do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will then be added to you. Listen, church, our salvation does not come from behind the resolute desk in Washington, D.C. It comes from an old rugged cross and an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem. Set your mind on things above. Let me pray for you, God. I'm the chief of sinners when it comes to being anxious about politics and allowing news cycles to make me angry and affect my mood. Um, God, I often put far too much weight and far I pin far too much hope on candidates and platforms and initiatives and outcomes God I worry far too often about earthly things but your word calls me to look up and see God that history is already written and you you haven't promised that our earthly kingdoms will will honor you you haven't promised us that we will get through this life without suffering in fact you said in this world In our earthly kingdoms, we will face trouble. But you told us to take heart because you've overcome these earthly kingdoms and you've overcome the world. And so God, whatever happens 16 days from now, whoever takes control of the Senate or whoever takes control of the House or the Oval Office, God, you still sit on your throne. Nothing changes there. And because you're on your throne in heaven, God, you have prepared a place for us. And so, God, we rest knowing that while we have things that we're excited about and policies that we're advocating for, God, we we know that whatever comes to pass, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so I we just, I, I just want to say that I trust you over these next two weeks. And I want to lay my anxiety and my fear at your feet and trust that no matter the outcome, God, you are working all things together for good for those who know you and fear you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.